Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. film lovers and welcome to the films i love most podcast yeah another week come goodness me this week has gone very very quick i've seen some very very interesting movies which we'll be discussing later on and we also have an exclusive interview with craig from the bbfc who's going to be talking about all things film classification so it's a very very funny and interesting interview so please stay tuned for that in the meantime, sit back, relax, get a nice big cup of tea like I have here and enjoy this episode, episode 11 of the Films I Love Most podcast. So there's only one big bit of movie news that I'm interested in this week and this is the Star Wars trailer that came out on Monday. So much packed into it. It's going to be so exciting. I'm very, very excited. I don't know about any of you, but we usually have a family tradition in my house that we go and see a Star Wars movie on Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, last year we weren't able to do that because they released Solo in May rather than in the Christmas period, which they usually do. So I'm very excited for Rise of Skywalker. Are you excited? Let me know on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or you can contact me at the film I love most podcast at yahoo.com. That's film I love most podcast at yahoo.com. It takes all my mental concentration to read an email address, no matter what it is. So I do apologise if I sound like I'm patronising you when I read that, but I'm not. So yes, that's the movie news for this week. Star Wars is on its way. The final chapter in the Skywalker saga. Who's excited? Let me know. Psst. I don't know whether you've heard or not, but if you head over to the podcast called The Films I Love Most Podcast, the sequel, you'll be able to listen to The 13 Days of Terror. 13 days of movie reviews looking at a specific horror movie every day leading up to that season of The Witch, Halloween. So please, please, please get over to the podcast, have a listen and let us know what you think. That's the Films I Love Most podcast, the sequel, 13 Days of Terror. So I might be a little bit late to the party, but I am going to start off movie reviews this week with a film that a lot of people have asked me to give my opinion on. And I've resisted because I'm not quite sure if my opinion is going to mix with everybody else's or fit together with what a lot of people think. I don't want to lose you loyal listeners, but, you know, I've got to give my honest opinion, and here it is. I'm going to be talking about Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix, came out last week, and, yeah, 
So the whole concept of Joker is it's an origin story for the Batman villain. It's very gritty. It's very interesting. It's basically King of Comedy. It's a remake of the Martin Scorsese film starring Robert De Niro. Ooh, what a surprise that Robert De Niro is actually in Joker also. There's so many similarities that at one point I actually did think that have I gone into the wrong film? Have they done a special edition of King of Comedy and I'm just watching it instead? I'm not going to lie to you. It's entertaining. And Joaquin Phoenix's performance in it is incredible. He's really, really good. If not a little irritating by the end. But I, it just didn't gel with me. There was something about it that I just thought was very superficial. I didn't get... We didn't get into the head of Joker as much as I wanted to. I thought there was going to be a lot more sort of learning about his disorder and sort of working out why he feels and thinks like he does. I didn't think we got that deep into the character, which was really disappointing because a lot of people had said to me that this is the film where we finally sort of understand Joker's motives. I mean, it just seems to be that he just goes from one bad situation to another, whether it's a situation where he's trying to discover who his father is, where he discovers his past and how his mother mistreated him. It just seemed to be very... It's sort of events that happened to him. We never really sort of get into his psyche. It wasn't bad, but it's not as good as everybody is saying. It's definitely not the film of the year. In fact, I probably put it in my top 10 worst films of the year because it, I went in with such high expectation and left a little bit deflated like one of Joker's red balloons. But... As a character study, it's interesting. It didn't go as deep as I wanted it to. Visually, it's it looks stunning. I think the costume design for Joker's look at the end of the film is perfect. A very intricate mix of the Joker from the past and where the Joker could be going in the future. It's been ruled out that this version of the Joker will ever be in, in a Batman film. So, sorry Robert Pattinson, you will not be acting against Joaquin Phoenix anytime soon. Although there has been some news of casting in the new Batman film, but we'll talk about that later in another podcast. But for me, I liked it. I thought it was a good film. It wasn't as bad as I've heard some people say it was, but it wasn't my cup of tea. And I do think, honestly, that it's going to be in my top 10 worst films of the year, purely because... I just didn't, it just didn't live up to the hype for me. The soundtrack's great in the movie. The music really adds to the sense of isolation and the descent into madness that this character is experiencing. So that was really good. I'm going to give Joker 6 out of 10. And I can't go any higher than that. I, I, I'm trying to think of things <clears throat> that I could think of that would make it go higher. But unfortunately, I can't. So that's my thoughts on Joker, guys. I know a lot of you will not agree with me, but then that's what makes the world a nice, happy place. We're all different. Hee 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 hee. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. Hey, stop them! 
is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. What? If you smile <laughs> to your fear and sorrow, smile. And maybe tomorrow you'll find the life that Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. It's a comedy. If you just So the next film I'm going to talk about wasn't actually shown at the cinema, it's on Netflix. So technically this should be on the small screen section, but it is a film, so I've decided to upgrade it to film reviews. And this is Fractured, starring Sam Worthington, who we haven't seen for quite a long time, actually. I've not seen him, you know, for a while. I, I suppose because it's, he's off filming the um, Avatar sequels. But, yeah, so Fractured is basically about... A family on their way home from visiting relatives for Thanksgiving and they stop off at a rest stop and it's Sam Weatherton plays this father who has obviously got some sort of issue going on or there's something going on within him, in, in, within him that we don't quite understand yet. And Lily Rape plays his wife and they've got a daughter and they, they stop off at a rest stop to get supplies and whilst they're there, their daughter is attacked by a dog and falls off a wall. And Sam Worthington's character is the only one that actually witnesses this. And the little girl hurts her arm, so they have to take her to A&E. So when she gets to accident and emergency, the doctor says that she might have suffered a brain injury. So Lily Rape's character and the little girl go with the doctor to have a CT scan, but they never come back. And Sam Worthington's character is left wondering, where the hell have my family gone? Now, I've seen films similar to this. I mean, you could even say that Breakdown with Kurt Russell is, is quite a similar idea of someone's family member or wife or husband just vanishing off the face of the earth and the mystery and the build up to what happened to them. Also, you could look at things like Flight Plan. Now, Flight Plan's a very interesting film for me because I've never seen it in English. I actually went on a date to watch Flight Plan when it came out at the cinema, but I was living in France at the time, so I've only ever seen it in French and I didn't understand what the hell was going on. But what I could grasp was the sense of a child, someone going missing, 
everyone else thinking that the person like the parent is crazy the parent is adamant that this person's gone missing and no one else believes them that is pretty much what happens in fractured i really enjoyed it you know it's what it is it's quite you know corny and cheesy in some places it's my heart was beating fast in some of the moments there is a real sense of <clears throat> wanting to really know what's happening it's I actually got a little bit frustrated with the film because I was like just give me some answers drip feed me something it really waits quite a long time before it gives you any answers and it's got an only an hour and 40 minute running time so for me to get so frustrated during a film of that running time I was actually quite surprised uh, the performances are good Lily Rape's obviously great in everything that she does Sam Worthington is is adequate he's a little bit shouty uh, there's a few times where his Australian accent sneaks out which I think is really funny and yeah it's one of those films that has a really good central concept does it deliver on it yeah it depends on what you expect it try it throws a lot of red herrings at you from the very beginning which I don't really like I think that alienates the audience and makes us feel a little bit like idiots if they're trying to lead us down one path because it's obviously not that path that we need to take and therefore it can get very frustrating but as a a film for a Friday Saturday night sit on the sofa get some popcorn it does all right it's it's not too bad and it has a an interesting quite cruel conclusion which i actually really enjoyed so i'm giving fractured seven out of ten and you can watch it now on netflix i love you daddy i love you sweetheart you're a brave girl so what's the story young lady we're on our way to minneapolis it was an accident i fell daddy <laughs> Well, sooner or later, everybody does. Right, Dad? I nearly had you, didn't I? Since you're traveling, I'd like to do a CAT scan. Daddy's going to take care of us. I'm going to wait right here for you when you get out. It's been hours. You know how much longer it's going to be? What was her name again? Perry Monroe. I'm not seeing a Perry Monroe. There hasn't been a scan since 9 o'clock this morning. So what are you telling me? They're not here. Got the whole day in front of you. Not finding any Monroe. I just want to see my wife and daughter. Do you have any footage? Don't record in the treatment areas. They're under the camera. Can't see them because of the chairs. You get a better angle. You saw my little girl. You treated her on. All I've got to go on is your word that they were here at all. Things are making them up. Why would I have my daughter's scarf, but not her? There's something wrong with this place. I showed you the picture. That could be anybody. I'm as concerned about them as you are. Search the hospital! Nobody needs to get hurt. I mean, he's a head case. Look down all your guns! What have you done to my family? Where'd you take my family? 
Next film we're going to review is Wounds. Now, Wounds was shown as part of the London Film Festival, and you can watch it now on Netflix. But guess what? I'm about to make films I love most the podcast history because I cannot think of anything worse than having to sit through this movie again. So I'd love to be able to explain the plot to you, but I can't because it's incoherent. It's messy. The script is all over the place. And I just want to ask one question. Army Hammer, what are you doing? Did you not read the script? What is this? From the director of Under the Shadow, which is actually a very, very interesting film. This was shown at Sundance, but I have never, ever seen anything that I just wished it to be over. It was grotesque. It was horrible. It was incoherent. It was boring. It just didn't make sense. There were relationships between characters that were formed and then just completely forgotten. Um... Dakota Fanning had nothing to do. I'm not entirely sure that she realised that when she read the script, her character was nothing. And I'm just so disappointed because from what I read in the synopsis, it should have been my cup of tea. I did hear a couple of people at the festival say that it was an absolute pile of trash but I didn't believe them because I like to make my own mind up. I watched it, I literally finished it about five minutes ago and all I'm going to say is they were right. It is absolutely the biggest pile of trash I've ever seen. God knows what Netflix were doing when they commissioned this. Anyway, Wounds. Can't explain the plot to you, didn't understand it. Can't recommend any book actors or performers to you because they look bored i'm gonna make history of the films i love most podcasts and i'm gonna give this film one out of ten and if i could give it a zero i would because and no in fact hang on a minute this is my podcast i'm giving it a zero zero out of ten there is nothing about this film that i can recommend It's overtaken The Dead Don't Die as probably the worst film I've seen this year. It is absolutely an abomination. And if I were you, avoid, avoid, avoid. college kids left a cell phone there and i went through it to see whose it was you don't want to see it you don't want to see it it's awful we have been something i'm scared you're scared too You know, if you ever need to talk, I'm here for you. You're acting guilty as shit.
I've actually only just got back from the cinema a few minutes ago from watching our next film I'm going to be reviewing. And the next film is Official Secrets, starring Kira Knightley and Matt Smith. Now, this film was actually shown as part of the film festival, but unfortunately it was a film that I couldn't get to see. So I was very excited that it was released this week. And it's an, it's a fascinating story, a very well put together film, great performances from Matt Smith and Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley especially, she just brings this sense of hopelessness to the character, and I really like that. Ray Fiennes is always always good when he pops up in a film. He plays a solicitor in this movie, which is really interesting. It's it's peppered with a lot of really great British actors which I really, really love because, you know, there's something about watching a British film with actors that you don't necessarily connect with being in film. You connect them with being on TV or on radio. For example, for example, Tamsin, Tamsin Grieg, sorry, is in this film in a very small role, yet I'm used to hearing her on The Archers, which I'm a big fan of. I could do my own Archers podcast, but I won't because I'm not old enough yet. Um, but yeah, so it was really interesting to see these actors playing very serious roles in a very taut, interesting drama. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so it's a true story and it's based on a British whistleblower who leaked information to the press about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. So it's not a light watching. Um, obviously, we know how the story plays out and we know that the invasion of Iraq goes ahead. But there were so many people behind the scenes that were trying to stop this illegal war. And it's very difficult to watch this film and not bring your own personal feelings about the situation to it. I was getting very stressed and very angry when I was hearing people talking up the war and saying how that the war was necessary when, from my personal opinion, it's it wasn't. It was an illegal war and we shouldn't have gone into Iraq at that time. And... The film really plays towards the fact that we made a mistake. There's a lot of stock footage on there, especially about t from Tony Blair. Um, there's a, a lovely sequence where Tony Blair is talking to David Frost, which gave me little pangs because David Frost is an amazing interviewer and he's sorely missed. Imagine what he would make of the uh, the political situation we're living, living in today. I think he'd probably be pulling his hair out. But... Directed by Gavin Hood and the film has this really realistic sort of, taught, like I said, taught construction which makes it just so interesting and the information you're getting and the story is clever and because it's real there are moments where you gasp and just go my goodness you know I can't believe that this happened especially when it comes to things like um the telegraph newspaper who's matt smith, who matt smith's character works for um when they got some information about the legality of the war um in a memo and they printed it and nobody believed them they everyone was saying that the memo was fake and it it's just breathtaking how wrong 
as a country, the government got it, not just here, but in the States as well. And the film really highlights that. And it's a really, really interesting movie. And I would definitely catch it. It's definitely my film of the week. I'm going to give Official Secrets 8 out of 10. And it's in cinemas now. Catherine Gunn. What were you employed to do? I translated signals intelligence and I reported anything of interest to my clients. You're a spy. Did you get this email? The Americans want us to help them get a UN resolution for war. So, you work for the British government? No. No? This proposed war is historically unpopular. I work for the British people. I do not gather intelligence so that the government can lie to the British people. Intelligence may be being manipulated to take this country to war. I could get you a copy. You're asking me to collude in a breach of the Official Secrets Act. Some call that treason. Someone has betrayed their government their country. You might need our help. If we do not go public, we would be conceding that no one can ever tell the people when their government is lying. Your marriage will be interrogated. My husband had absolutely nothing to do with this. He's a Muslim. I'm sorry? chose loyalty to your country over loyalty to your government, your marriage, and yourself. I think that speaks rather highly of you. Catherine Theresa Gunn, you charged with an offence of the Official Secrets Act. Do you want to risk it all? How do you plead? Hello guys and welcome to a very special episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. I'm not in the usual dungeon today, I am here at the BBFC headquarters in London about to introduce our special guest for the day. Hello, what's your name and where do you come from? Hi, um, I'm Craig Lapper, I'm the Head of Compliance at the BBFC. Fantastic, so what is your role within the BBFC? Well, my role is keeping an eye on what our compliance officers are doing. Um, so when a film is classified, a couple of compliance officers normally sit and watch it. They write a report. They send their reports through to me or my colleague Sarah. We look at the reports. If it's fairly straightforward, we classify the film. If they can't decide what the category is, then they might refer it to us to have a look at a few sequences or to have a look at the whole film again. And if we need to refer the film forward to the board's chief executive, then that's what we'll do. Also, my role involves looking at rough cuts of films at early stages during post-production to give the companies an idea of what category they're likely to get or any adjustments that might allow them to get that category. I do have to say, this does sound like a lot of our listeners' dream job. Absolutely. It's a great job and getting to see some of the big blockbusters and you know even some of the indie films that you might not have heard of 
early is a great part of the job. But of course, we do have to watch absolutely everything. And so a bit like a film critic, you're watching a lot of good films, but you're, you're watching a fairly varied diet of stuff, shall we say. Sure, yeah. I, can, I can imagine yeah. that there are some things that you yeah. watch and just think, hmm, interesting. Exactly. Um, so it's a little icebreaker here. Mm-hmm. Not a film that you've had any dealings with here at the BBFC, but going mm. right back, what's your favourite film of all time? Oh, um, <laughs> I think I probably won't be the first person to answer this question by saying I don't have a single favourite film. Okay. But it's it's hard to know answering a question like that whether you mean a film that's had a huge impact on you or a film that you've simply enjoyed. In terms of a film that's had a big impact and that was a really powerful film, I would single out probably the... 1980s Russian film or Soviet film Come and See oh, the, interesting. Uh, the Klimov film which okay. was a film that quite literally knocked, knocked me for six the first time I saw it it's sure. so powerful it's the kind of film that I would always recommend that somebody watches once whether you want to see it again is a matter of personal taste sure. but it's just the way the film uses imagery the way that the film uses naturalistic sound it creates a devastating effect and if anyone wants to see a film that shows the real cost of violence and and war then i i, I would say that's definitely one of the most powerful films i've ever seen on, on a more light-hearted note probably probably, <laughs> probably jaws yes oh my goodness jaws, I mean, jaws is, is an amazing i talk about film. jaws all the time yeah, on the podcast yeah. it's one of my all-time favorites yeah. how old were you when you first saw that film when i first saw jaws Goodness me, um, probably probably around eight, sure. I imagine. So, uh, like a lot of people, it was my first introduction to uh, monster movies, shark yeah. movies, that kind of thing. Um, and definitely a film that, like everyone else my age, then had you thinking twice about going in the water. But of course. I, but I think the thing with Jaws is, even though it's, a, it's quite a popular, mainstream film... It, it just manages to pull off that unusual trick of being a blockbuster that can appeal to everyone and is really entertaining, but also has fantastic characters, fantastic performances. Everything about that film is just spot perfect. I really. totally agree. A lot of film fans these days, cinephiles, mm. uh, quote Jaws as their favourite film because it's a film they watch in their development years. Mm. Do you think it's films that you watch in that period where you're really sort of beginning to learn at school, yeah. your your yeah. mind is being open to learning? Yeah. What you watch in those years is very important and sort of moulds yeah, you yeah. into a... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, with something like Jaws, um, it's probably fed so it's a it's a fairly strong PG, but it was kind of the Jurassic Park of its day, wasn't it? Lots of children saw it. Lots of children were a bit scared afterwards to go swimming, but did that necessarily have a negative effect on them? I don't think so. I think most people well, enjoyed it. You know. I have to say, I am from a seaside town. Oh, well, And whenever okay. I was yeah. swimming, all my brother would have to do is go, and I would run for the beach. Yeah, and it's just become part of the collective consciousness. I mean, not not long ago, you know, I was swimming in the sea. I won't say where, and I was with a friend, <laughs> and he did exactly that thing. It's just and you ran, and, and I ran. Excellent. So let's get down to business. Let's start from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've just completed the films I love most podcast, the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, a film that no one wants to see. <laughs> um, the final print of the film has been completed. Mm-hmm. When did the BBC BBFC get involved? 
It really does vary. If it's a massive film, we might see it several months. It's going to be a massive film. Okay, of course it is. Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> so for a film like yours, that you know, is a lot riding on it, a massive project, everyone wants to see it. Um, it could be several months before the film's release date that we see it. We, th- those are the kind of occasions where we would see perhaps a rough cut of the film. We might see it still with some green screen, a bit of wire work, a few sequences rendered with simple animation, storyboards. So it could be a really rough assembly, and then it could be several months before we see the finished film. Oh, wow. With other films, it can happen very near to the release date and that can either be because they know roughly what they're going to get and they they've done it so many times before like a star wars film they they know exactly how to judge it they know what they're going to get for it they don't need to come to us at an early stage and probably at the more extreme thing end of things we have uh, the south asian films that we get in we get a lot of Hindi language films, Tamil films, and often those only come into us days before release. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So you don't have a lot of time to spend no, on those. No, films. exactly. Do you have a crack team that deals with specifically issues like that? Not as such. Everybody views everything, but when when it comes to films like the South Asian films, we do have colleagues who speak the relevant languages and bring some understanding of the cultural context, and we'll normally have someone like that sitting in and watching the film. Okay, so the finished film is in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be a rough cut you're going to see in mm-hmm. mine because there's no such thing as a rough cut. The film yeah. I love most podcast, the movie. Um, and so what, what process mm-hmm. is do you go through to classify this mm-hmm. movie? What are you looking for? Yeah. What is your ground rules yeah. for giving this a rating? Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll send two people to watch the film. It's often done in our in-house theatre. Sometimes it might be done at one of the big studios, theatres, several of them have screening rooms around here in Soho. So they watch the film, the compliance officers then apply our classification guidelines, which we have and, and are up on our websites, and those set out in broad brush terms what our rules are with regard to violence, sex, bad language, drugs, those kind of things. Um, and they're looking at the film, they'll make notes as they go through about everything that's in the film. At the end of the film they'll tidy those notes up, They might embolden what the key sequences for them were and then they'll analyse that in terms of the guidelines and and see what category it's going to get. Right, so when you have these screenings, obviously they're heavily guarded. There's no leaks that can come out of those. I mean, do you have Mm -hmm. security guards there? I've been to a screening very similar of a film that's been... You know, had its release date maybe two or three months in the mm. future, and mm-hmm. it's literally like going into Fort Knox. Yes, um, we don't have security guards as such at the BBFC, but we have our own theatre down in the basement, and it's locked off. The only sure. people down there are our compliance staff and the projectionist. Um, we are, we do go through the usual security checks. We are fact accredited as a premises, but yeah, you're quite right. If we are asked for the highest profile films to go over to. Fox or Warner Brothers or Sony or whoever who, whoever wants us to watch the film um, there might be security guards on the door the only rule we have is that staff from film companies and those security guards can't sit in with us sure. when we're in the screening we have to be on our own so that we're not distracted so that no one's trying to say anything to us uh, and so that nobody can hear the discussions that we might have after the film. Do you feel as well that if there were people in those screenings, their reaction to the movie, even if it's not not vocal, mm. um, could give an opinion to you that yes. it's not your own? Yeah, which in some respects might be valuable. 
Um, the odd thing about doing a BBFC viewing, especially if you're somewhere like an IMAX theatre, is you're just sitting there in this <laughs> yeah. vast cinema on your own. Uh, on the one hand, we, we watch the films in a cinema context, so we get some impression of the impact that the sound and the visuals are going to have, and that's why we look at IMAX films separately. On the other hand, you do miss that element of how the audience is going to react, and that's why we do believe it or not, still like to go to the cinema in our own time. Partly, you know, just partly for fun and, and for, for entertainment and to catch up on films that we might have missed. But it's also partly because it's good to see that kind of audience reaction. Sure. So go to the cinema, watch, I don't know, the new Tarantino film. And it's interesting to see how an audience, no spoilers here, reacts to that climactic scene. So, so we do go and judge... Uh, how people are reacting to films in the cinema. But we also do that by talking to people every five years when we update our guidelines. Sure, mm -hmm. interesting. So this is one of our first reader questions. Mm -hmm. So um, it seems that sex and bad language is prioritised when it comes to higher classification. Do you mm. think that violence in movies is sometimes overlooked, for example, in the Marvel movies Endgame, for example? I, those, those films yeah. are quite action-packed. Mm -hmm. The violence is very yeah. uh, comic book, mm -hmm. but it's still violence. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're quite um, they're quite unremitting in terms of scenes of action. We get that generally. Those films that pass here at twelve A or PG thirteen in the states, they're very careful because they know what they're doing in terms of the details. So you won't tend to get much blood. You won't tend to get much injury detail. What you do get is a lot of people being hit and thrown about. We we do wonder sometimes whether those levels of violence are okay at twelve A, and we do tend to focus quite heavily on those kind of films when we're doing our consultation exercises. And we did our last one in 2018, which led to new guidelines this year. And we did show some of those uh, fantasy action type films to members of the public and said, what do you think? There, there's a lot of violence in this, but are you, are you content with that at the 12A level? And the general feeling was people thought we were getting it right. Parents wouldn't want us to make the next let's say, Marvel film, a 15, if it's just that kind of fantastical violence. And they do make quite a distinction between fantasy violence, unrealistic violence, where there's just a lot of throwing around, slamming about, bang, bang, you know, crash, wallop, that kind of stuff, and more realistic violence. So I think mm. people tend to get more worried when the violence occurs in a credible setting, in a real-world setting, where it has more of an impact, whereas... I think people see that kind of violence, not that I want to uh, quote Martin Scorsese, but they do <laughs> see it as a bit of a you know roller coaster thrill, and sure. it's about thrills. People don't register that kind of superhero violence as real violence, and so I think people tend to find that a bit less concerning. So in the 21st century, what do you think the challenges are that the BBFC faces with the rise of streaming and easy access to content online? Mm. Well, the increase in streaming has definitely led to a gradual decline of the physical media product that we're doing. So, you know, DVDs, Blu-rays, they're, they're still reasonably healthy, but they're more appealing to a gifting, collector's kind of market. Whereas people who just want to access a film once, give something a go, are tending to go to the streaming services. As things are set up at the moment, there's no law 
that says that stuff on streaming services has to be classified. The BBFC is working with a number of VOD providers, including Netflix and Amazon, to get our ratings onto those platforms. I think from our perspective, it's a good idea to do that sure. because it keeps the ratings relevant and keeps them in people's minds. From a public point of view, when we've spoken to people about it, they tend to say that they would like to get that kind of trusted content information from an impartial source, so it has a benefit to the public. But I think also for uh, the streaming services themselves, it just helps to show to their customers that the material is being regulated and that uh, they can trust the kind of information they're getting on it to help them make decisions for themselves and for kids who are watching the services. So we're doing more and more work, but we are tending to do it at the moment within a voluntary framework. So with you said there's no guidelines at the moment for online content. Well... We, we yeah, so we, it's happening. It's happening, and sure. we apply the same guidelines yeah. we would to cinema to DVD. But there's no legal requirement. So sure. at the cinema, you, with some exceptions, have to have your film classified by us on DVD, Blu-ray to sure. release a film by law under the Video Recordings Act. We have to see it on online platforms. It's more a matter of the BBFC working with the providers to provide as much information as we can. Obviously, and these services have uh, parental locks mm -hmm. and content mm. sort of blockers, so mm -hmm. it's very important mm. that that is also stressed, yeah. that even though this content might not be like mm. classify as such it mm -hmm. is the parents do have an option to yeah exactly to stop yeah, their yeah. young ones watching these films yeah and the parental locks can be really important but with the parental locks sometimes they can be not as granular as a bbfc classification so it might not lock down to you can't see a 15 you can't see an 18 it might just be about um, certain types of content should be adults only but we again that's something that we work with the providers to to, to try to make the parental locks work better for for parents. Sure. So that deals with online streaming services. Mm. Things like YouTube, for mm -hmm. example, a lot of content mm. is being released on YouTube, mm -hmm. especially they have their own series mm -hmm. now. Um, how involved are the BBFC in in regulating online content like that? Yeah. And if that was possible, how much would it increase your workload here? Obviously, huge. yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. We're, we're a relatively small organisation and we have a relatively small number of compliance officers. So realistically, there's only so much we can get through. We do talk to platforms like, like YouTube and others to see whether there's anything we can do to help them to make the information more usable on their services. Realistically, though, when you're talking about UGC content, it's not going to be possible for somebody to check everything that's uploaded onto every can platform. You imagine? Exactly. You realistically you can't do it. What you can try to do is develop frameworks whereby creators can rate their own material, and then perhaps the crowd can look at whether they agree with that rating. So I think in terms of UGC, we're looking more at the BBFC assisting the platforms to develop those kind of rating solutions to provide appropriate warnings rather than the BBFC viewing everything because we, we can't view everything on of the course. internet. Yeah. You'd be brain dead zombies yeah. if you had to go through every YouTube. I mean, you see a lot of cats. Yeah. Yes, cat videos. <laughs> I mean, you know, we wouldn't mind watching the cat videos. Sure, of but, course. You know, there's a lot of cat videos and That's not a Thursday lot to night. say about them. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so we're going to time travel now. We're going to get into mm -hmm. a TARDIS. We're going to go back to the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So on the 1st of September 1985, mm -hmm. Parliament passed um, an act that brought about 
a video nasties ban mm-hmm. here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, some films were not brought to the BBFC to mm-hmm. have official mm-hmm. classification. Mm-hmm. Um, that was basically censorship by the government. Does censorship play a role in today's classification process? And how much do politics impact the quali- uh, the classification procedure? And if they do at all? Yeah, um, we try not to censor nowadays. And we certainly don't want to censor on the grounds that something is disgusting or that something's offensive or that something might not accord with someone's taste. So I think the days of the BBFC uh, in a much earlier period trying to monitor issues of taste and decency, I think we've moved away from that, except that that forms a part of deciding what category to give something. Um, Actual censorship in terms of prohibiting something is relatively infrequent now, and it does tend to occur most commonly if something is illegal, where obviously we have an obligation to take it out, might be something like animal cruelty um, that's been set up for the film. Um, or, or if you go into some of those more difficult areas where material is reveling in violence, especially real-life violence, just for entertainment purposes, there's a possibility that that might have a degrading effect on people long-term through drip-drip exposure. Uh, also, sometimes areas like sexual violence, which we tr- tend to treat fairly strictly. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very rare for the BBFC to refuse to classify something outright, I think over the last eight years or so, there's been one online video we've refused to classify, but no cinema films, no video films. Um, And the number of works cut at the 18 level is very small nowadays. So I think we've moved quite far away from that mid 80s video nasty period. Having done my research on that, it's not that, what I can tell, it's not the BBFC didn't have much Mm. choice in that decision. It was Mm. a very political decision. Mm. And the the act was renounced quite quite recently, actually. I think it was only 2010, maybe? Well, the the, the Video Recordings Act still applies. Okay. Um, There was a, it's a a very long and not very interesting story, although (laughs) although it's actually very relevant now. In uh, about 2009, 2010, it was discovered that when the Video Recordings Act was brought in, the government at the time had forgotten to give the Video Recording Act to to Europe, basically, because it was a restriction on free trade within the EU. Because it meant that French and German video companies couldn't release their stuff here without giving it to us. It should have been notified to Europe, and it hadn't been. So the Act had to be repealed, notified to Europe, and then brought back into effect. I see. But but the the Video Recordings Act is still there. Interesting. Yes, because um, we've spoken about this on the... Films I love most podcasts mm. before, but um, my mother was a police officer during mm. the eighties mm-hmm. and was on mm. a mm. in a department mm. where she had to go around and search people's videotapes yeah. to see if they had any of these these yeah. illegal films or I mean, material. I mean, the thing the thing probably to say from a BBFC perspective about the the video nasties, people often talk about the BBFC banning these video nasties, the BBFC's video nasty list. Of course, that was nothing to do with the BBFC. Of course. It was actually the DPP who drew up the list based on what police were seizing. And the reason that was happening was twofold. People tend to think of it purely in terms of really extreme films, I Spit on Your Grave, Cannibal Holocaust, all those usual suspects being beyond the pale and potentially obscene. But the other part of it was, of course, until the Video Recordings Act came in, 
there were no age restrictions on videos and anybody could go into a shop and buy any video. Sure. And it was quite interesting that some films that the BBFC had passed for cinema release, like The Evil Dead, were then being impounded on video. And part of the reason is the Obscene Publications Act isn't just about is this acceptable, it's about to whom is it likely to appeal and who's likely to see it. Sure. So The Evil Dead was not obscene for adults choosing to see it at the cinema, but for kids going and renting the video, yeah. it might have a different effect. Interesting. So the same kind of film that was okay for adults was not necessarily okay for kids. So, so it, was, it was a little more complicated than just a group of really bad films. It was that lack of any form of regulation and lack of any form of classification. Excellent. Yeah, when we told the story before mm, of me mm. having to purchase The Exorcist at least five times on VHS mm. before it kept getting found and That's thrown right. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but luckily it was a film that managed to mm. pass and is now available mm -hmm. to everybody, which is amazing because mm -hmm. it's an mm. incredible film. Mm -hmm. I um, mean, the, 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 the Exorcist, the interesting thing about The Exorcist was um, I think our, our director at the time, James Furman, he, he would share your view. He thought The Exorcist was a very good film, but he felt that it was potentially too powerful, especially if kids got hold of it, which was perhaps more likely at the time, given that it was a more recent film, sure. and that it might have an unusually powerful and unsettling effect on them if they got hold of it on video. But there was never a question that the BBFC thought The Exorcist was a bad film. If anything, the BBFC thought it was too good. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah. I totally agree. Mm. Um, so there have been examples of films that have had their classification changed yeah. since its initial release. How has mm. this managed by the BBFC? Well, yeah, people sometimes write to us and say, oh, I've seen this film, I think it would be more appropriate as a 15 today. The reality is, given how many films we've seen over the years and how many films we have in the archive and how few staff we have, we don't have the time to keep going back, sure. looking at everything and checking, is this still... Is this still an X? Is this still a 15? Um, so we rely upon film companies to come back to us. It happened to quite a large extent when DVD came out because a lot of stuff had been panned and scanned on VHS, so they had to get the widescreen versions done. So we had this whole patch in the late 90s through to the mid-2000s where we were re-watching virtually everything. And in a lot of cases, you looked at decisions that had been made in the 80s and you just thought, I don't know, Terminator, it was an 18 in the day, it's more of a 15 now. Alien, maybe it's a 15 now. Sure. Apocalypse Now, maybe it's a 15 now. Um, but it really does depend on the companies coming back. So sometimes we'll get a film coming either for Blu-ray release or it might be for a cinema re-release, and it gives us an opportunity to have another look at it. And if we think the classification isn't in line with modern standards, then we, then we will change it. Well, that links very neatly into our next question, actually. So how do you feel that national ethics and education is impacting on how you do your job now here at the BBFC? Especially um, education. Yeah. Well, in terms of uh, national standards and views about classification, they do change. They don't change that quickly, which is why we don't do consultations every year, quite apart from the fact it takes about a year to do it. But we do check in with people to see how things are, sta how things are changing, how standards are changing, how attitudes are changing. And you do tend to find that views on things like language and sex 
do become more liberal over the years, but you find that there's increasing concern about other areas. Mm. Um, discrimination is one example of that, but also sexual violence. So people tend to assume it's a one-way street. In fact, people become more concerned about certain issues and less concerned about other issues. In terms of education, I think we, we do quite a lot of education outreach. We do student seminars here in the building. We also have a team of people who go out around the UK talking to students of various ages. That's very useful for getting feedback from younger people. But it's also useful in terms of playing a part in media education. And we do tend to find when we talk to children and teenagers that they're surprisingly savvy and clued up. And they do understand, to a far greater extent than would have been in the past, how films work, how the media works, how they might be being manipulated. They're quite good at unpicking those kind of things. And I think that does make our job a little easier. Because in the past, when how films were made and how films worked and how you read a text were a bit of a mystery, it was far easier to work up these kind of horror stories about certain films. Whereas now, I think people are a little more understanding of how media works, how people engage with it, how they engage with it, and how sometimes they might be being played by it. And a, yeah. and a, and a lot better at understanding how to break these things down. So, so I think it makes our job a little easier, and education is important to us. I totally agree mm. with everything you've just mm. said, and I think it is really important. Kids are much more savvy mm. these days, mm. and probably making your job a little bit more... Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. ...enjoyable and easier. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So that was the last adult-centric question. Okay. Now we can have a little bit of fun. So obviously mm -hmm. the staff members here at the BBFC get to see films mm -hmm. and TV shows well in advance of their release. Mm. Do you have a spoilers secret act? Does someone mm. have to sign anything before they go in to make sure that nothing is spoiled, especially with films like, mm. for example, Endgame or anything with a twist? Yeah, it's tricky for us because of what we do. We try to avoid spoilers. We do actually write into the reports that there are spoilers coming towards the end of this report, so don't read it if you, if you don't need to know. When we have our weekly meetings where we get together to talk about the last week's films, we're normally very sensitive about spoilers for people who might want to go and see it. But the problem does come, and it's a problem you can't get around if the key classification issue is the spoiler. So in those cases, you just have to bite the bullet. I had one case myself where I was watching Broadchurch, the first series of Broadchurch, mm -hmm. and I was just watching it on television, not for classification. And then two weeks before the final episode was broadcast, one of the compliance officers said, I need to get a second opinion. Oh, and it was on no. the reveal of the series. So it does happen, <laughs> but you know, it's part of the job. You, you've just got to accept that. In terms of audiences, it can be equally challenging because when we issue our ratings information, which you know appears on the black card, yeah. sometimes you want to tell it like it is, but you don't necessarily want to spoil the film. So we do now, after a bit of feedback on a couple of films where this happened, we do now have the option to remove our ratings information from the black card if it's going to be a significant spoiler. So Interesting. it would still appear on the website because if if... If the classification issue is a suicide scene, there might be some people who want to know about that because they wouldn't want to go and see the film. So we've got to get that information to them so it will be on the website. But by at least 
notifying people on the website there is a spoiler and taking it off the black card. Hopefully we can avoid that. What a fine balance you have to do there. That's incredible. Mm. I mean, there's things you don't even think about Mm. when it comes to keeping that surprise ending a surprise. Have any of your colleagues ever come up to you and gone, I'll give you a pub lunch if you tell me what happens at the end? Not really, no. (laughs) It's normally normally the other way around. It's normally, if you've been to see something and they're really... Um, they're really keen to see it. They don't want you to do that. They really don't. So more often than not, people just say, please don't tell me who dies in the yes. new Star Wars I'm, film. I'm exactly the same. Mm. I don't want to know no. who dies. No, it spoils the experience, <laughs> doesn't it? So, of yeah. course. So this was the, we put um, some questions to our listeners, mm-hmm. and this was the most... I mean, you're going to hate this next question, and I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. No, but this is the what people wanted to know about mm. the most. Mm-hmm. So I've actually put excuse the stupid question mm. at the beginning. So the question is, and this is the, what the people wanted to know the most, uh, will Brexit have an impact on classification or censorship on films in the UK? I don't see how it will directly. Um, in terms of the legislation that governs what we do... Um, none of that will be changed. It's all UK-specific legislation, so films being shown in cinemas will still have to be go through the normal regulatory processes. DVDs, Blu-rays still have to go through the normal regulatory processes. Um, I guess there might be some tangential consequences depending on what happens economically. That might make it more expensive to import films for example but that's not really within the BBFC's remit so in terms of what we actually do here no we're not we're not preparing for any particular outcome excellent the reason why I found that so difficult to ask Mm. is because we've banned the b-word from the podcast Mm. so I'm really sorry guys but we're going to mention never again in fact it's an 18 certificate on the (laughs) b-word from now on Um, so that's the formal bit Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. and now it's time for a quiz okay Oh, there's no fear in the eyes at all. I like no, no. <laughs> Bring it on. So, I'm going to give you some film titles, mm. and you have to tell me what classification these movies have. Mm. Okay? Okay. So, first up... Oh, hang on. Pause for jingle. There we go. We can afford jingles now. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, first film is... And I think you already know this one, because you mentioned it earlier. Jurassic Park. The original Jurassic Park. The original PG. Jurassic PG is yeah. correct, mm-hmm. although we're a bit baffled because a man gets eaten on the toilet, for goodness sake. He does. Sake. Did oh, you man. not find that same funny? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, the original A New Hope Star Wars. It's still a you. It's still a you, but there's mm. burnt uncles and aunts That's right. outside mud huts. You know, but everybody loves it. <laughs> okay, Halloween, the original. The original Halloween was an 18, Ooh. but it's now a 15. Okay, so you definitely got this one right because it's mm. one of the scariest movies mm. I've ever seen. Mm. And, you know, an 18 or a 15 now is, is mm. appropriate. Romeo and Juliet. The Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah. That's still a 12, I think. It is a 12. You're yeah. very good at this. Mm. Again, it's a good call. Obviously, mm. this is one of the coolest Shakespeare films, yeah, yeah, so yeah. a lot of kids want to see Great this in for school. Education. Yeah. Brilliant. Mary Poppins. And that's a really bad, really bad 
um, impression there, but Mary Poppins. Blimey, Governor. It's, uh, <laughs> it's still a you, I think. It's still a you, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it does contain mild threat. It does. I mean, mild threat, mm-hmm. people tap dancing mm-hmm. on roofs, very mm-hmm. dangerous, and of mm-hmm. course, being That's in the close vicinity of penguins, That's which right. is not ideal. Watchmen. Watchmen is an 18. It is an 18. It's not the highest 18, but it's yeah, it's it's fairly violent in places. For a superhero movie, mm. that's quite mm. shocking. And I think that was before they started making all these kind of Deadpool Logan. So I think at the time it was it was quite surprising. Absolutely, yeah. we're very excited about the new Watchmen mm. TV show that's mm. coming out. We're mm-hmm. we're hoping that that's going to be as mm. um, R-rated as and possible. Dark, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Terminator Two. Terminator 2 is now a 15. I think it was originally a 15 with cuts for cinema release, but was past 18 for Laserdisc. But it is now 15 uncut. Absolutely. It's one of the films with the most casualties inflicted Mm. by by violence. Mm -hmm. So 15, very Mm -hmm. good choice. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ah, It's still a U, although... I think it will probably be a PG if it came back now. It's pretty intense. I do agree with you, because it has the scariest space baby ever. It does. Interestingly, um, when 2001 first came out, it was passed A in its 70mm format, but was then passed U on the 35mm format, because Kubrick managed to persuade our secretary, John Trevelyan, that the 35mm version was less impactful. Wow. I mean, I actually find that film very scary, Mm. especially the Mm. opening sequence Mm. with the apes. Mm -hmm. I don't find it you, Mm -hmm. but like you said, Mm -hmm. if it came back, it would Mm -hmm. probably be changed. Mm. Uh, And the last one, Mm -hmm. The Elephant Man. Oh, The Elephant Man is a PG. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a David Lynch film with a PG rating. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Well, I know, but it's you know, it's not your it's not your your archetypal Lynch film, is it? Apart no, from those true. surreal flourishes, but you know, Elephant Man is a fantastic film and uh, really moving, and I think it has a lot to say to young people if they choose to engage with it about difference and uh, those kind of issues. Absolutely, we've yeah. recently seen it at mm. the London mm. Film Festival mm. it was re-released mm. and it was absolutely stunning mm. on the big screen mm. absolutely beautiful mm. well you got 8 out of 8 wow if I had a prize to give you I'd give it to you right now <laughs> thanks very maybe much. just a bow and some yeah. massive respect okay. thank you so much no problem um, thank you so much for being here on the Films I Love Most podcast it's been an absolute pleasure and I think our listeners will be really interesting to see how the BBC, BBFC works mm-hmm. um, it's one of those organisations that not necessarily a shroud in a mystery out of mm. choice, but it's not something that film fans necessarily mm. go and search the information mm. out. Mm. So I'm really, really happy that you were with us today. And thank you so much. No problem. I would just like to say a huge thank you to Craig for that interview there at the BBFC and everyone else involved, especially Megan Sutherland, who organised the whole event. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for my goodie bag. The BBFC are about to relaunch their logo and some other surprising things as well so keep a lookout for that i'm not allowed to show anybody it until the 31st of october so get over to facebook instagram and twitter and on the 31st of october i will show you all the new logos and classification logos as well which look absolutely amazing um in my goodie bag i got a mug with pg on it i'm not sure if it's for pg tips or if they just think that I'm very PG, which I am. So thank you again so much to Craig and Megan. I really, really appreciate you giving up your time for the Films I Love Most podcast.
welcome to the small screen everybody this is where we talk about tv shows that might as well be mini movies because they are so spectacular and vast and visually interesting in their own right so we're going to celebrate them here on our section we call the small screen so this week we have a new series coming up called Watchmen which is based on the classic cult comic which was also made into a movie about 10 years ago um, this series has been brought to the screen by Damon Lindenoff who some of you might recognize that name even if I can't pronounce it properly um, <laughs> it's been a long week um, Damon Lindemoff created Lost with J.J. Abrams and also was the executive producer and creator on one of my favourite TV shows of all time, The Leftovers. So, Watchmen is set in an alternative history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws and Watchmen embrace the nostalgia of the original breathtaking novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. That's the official press release. Um, interesting, because it's actually ignoring the movie, which I thought was probably a good way to go because I'm not really a fan of the film. I've tried to watch it. I have a copy of like the director's cut, which is so long. I think it's like three and a half hours. And I've sat probably two or three times in my life and tried to sit and enjoy it and understand why it's on the top 10 list of a lot of people. But for me, I just don't get it. I just don't sort of connect with the story at all. But with Damon's track record with Lost and The Leftovers, I'm really hoping that with Watchmen, the TV show, it's going to bring elements of the story to me that I'm going to be able to connect with and really, really enjoy. And I've enjoyed his previous shows, so that's going to be good. There's a lot of famous people in it. Uh, Francis Fisher is in it. Uh, Jeremy Irons is in it. Regina King, who um, has worked with Damon Lindemoff before on The Leftovers. So they're obviously really good, have a good working relationship. Um, so, yeah, Watchmen. It's out very, very soon. I'm not quite sure where it's going to be showing in the UK. But if you're in the States, it's going to be on HBO on release on the 20th of this month so it's already out guys go and check it out next on small screen i'm going to be talking about dublin murders which is a tv show on bbc one it's eight episodes i believe that four episodes have been shown already and it's got the following next four episodes are coming over the next couple of weeks you can catch it on iplayer now um the concept of the series is um, it's based on novels by Tanya French. The story is about a small village in Dublin and there are some horrific things going on in the woods. 30 years previously, some children went missing and now there's been a murder of a young girl in the same location. But the police officer who's in charge of the investigation has a link to the case 30 years ago. So that's where a lot of the mystery and a lot of the intrigue is coming from. It's what does this police officer who is investigating this new murder, what has he got to do with the past? And it's gripping. It's brilliantly acted. Uh, Killian Scott is fantastic 
in the role of Rob Riley, who is this police officer with a weird, weird past. I absolutely love it. Sarah Green playing Cassie is also a delight to watch. The characters are so real. There's so much going on. There's so much backstory. It's gripping. And I'm quite surprised that it hasn't got the the following that maybe something like um, Line of Duty has because it's equally as good and equally as well written. So I'm hoping that me talking about it now will draw you over to BBC iPlayer and watch the episodes that are already out of Dublin Murders and hopefully you'll get into it and enjoy the next couple of weeks as it leads up to its conclusion. So yes, it's on Monday and Tuesday nights on BBC One at nine o'clock. Otherwise, you can catch it on iPlayer. I called up a really close old friend of mine from our younger years, Jess, to be the participant in the films I love most podcast this week. So, Jess, what film do you love most? So, I've been asked what my favourite film is. And knowing Keith is a huge movie buff, I'm not really sure if I've been set up because he knows that all my favourite movies are super cool chick flicks. <laughs> um, so I was about 12 when I first watched Clueless for the first time. And it is still, even now, all these years later, one of my favourite movies. Um, I saw it on video from Blockbuster. I think we had it for the weekend and I watched it so many times. What can I say? I was a geeky kid who just loved Jane Austen novels and then Clueless came out and it was loosely based on that awesome story of Emma and I loved that. It was like my two worlds were colliding on screen but in a really shiny Los Angeles way. Um, so some reasons why I love it. The music dramatic teen angst, the quick script, um, the amazing one-liners, the fashion. I mean, those costumes were to die for. When Cher flicks through her clothes on that computer screen in her closet, I mean, that's still my dream, even now. I base myself on Cher <laughs> for my teenage years. Um, her and her friends, of course. I had fluffy pen, a backpack, I wrote in my diary about boys and when I fell in teenage love with a gay guy, I actually felt what Cher had been through. It was amazing. So there you have it. My favourite movie is Clueless. I'm admitting it. The best lines ever in a movie will always be, you are a virgin who can't drive. That was way harsh, Ty. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for that, Jess. That was absolutely brilliant. Bless you. And um, it wasn't a setup. Of course, I wouldn't set you up. Why would I do that? I know your love for chick flicks. So that's the reason why I wanted you to be on the Films I Love Most podcast. And the fact that you rented Clueless from Blockbuster gave me a massive wave of nostalgia. Um, I do remember once me and Jess, I can't remember if we rented it or if we bought it from Blockbuster, but we got The Mummy. And I've never, ever watched a film so many times over a weekend <laughs> ever in my life. We must have watched it at least five or six times over one weekend. 
Um, but that's what we did. And I think a lot of my love for film actually comes from going around Jess's house and just watching the same films over and over again. But yes, Clueless. So it's very, it's a very, very, very funny film. Very, very 90s. It came out in 1995. So it's dead in the middle of the 90s. And this was a time when sort of classic adaptations of um, classic stories were very, very popular. You had 10 things I had I Hate About You, you had She's All That. These are um, films that were adapted from the classics and Clueless is definitely up there with one of the best. I actually do really, really like this film. I think it's clever, it's got a very good script. I think without films like this, films like Mean Girls, for example, wouldn't have been made. And I think Mean Girls is probably one of the best films of this genre. I love the script of Mean Girls, apart from near the end when it falls apart a little bit, but it's one of the best sort of films of that type. Um, and I could just see Jess in the character. She talks about how she modelled herself on on um, the main character, and I can definitely see that now looking back. Um, Alicia Silverstone, who plays Cher, that was basically Jess in our teenage years. And that just shows how much of an impact this movie had on on our generation it was the first sort of teenage flick like this that had come out after the 80s you know the 80s with molly ringwald being a pin-up after the breakfast club and pretty in pink this is sort of a new generation of comedy that sort of strays away from john hughes and is a bit more modern for its era and there's nothing there's no film like this now there's no film that is having such an impact on the teenagers on sort of early teenagers and youth everything just seems to be so sort of angsty and dramatic now things like for example ladybird even though i love that film it deals with some very serious issues whereas clueless is very light and fluffy it deals with issues but it deals with them in a very very comedic way which I absolutely love. And uh, <laughs> I actually know the gay guy that Jess fell in love with. And I was probably in love with him too, to be honest. But um, yeah, she definitely felt that, you know, through the character of Cher, she she sort of got something It emotionally connected with her, which every good comedy does, especially a teen comedy. So yes, there we go. Clueless. If you've not seen it, get out there. Don't buy it on VHS because I doubt that any of you have a VHS player. And of course, there's no blockbusters left in the country. So what I would do is probably get on some streaming service and watch it like that, even though that's not as good as in, as in the old days. Christmas. Film found for a pound. Doink. Yep. That's the jingle from now on, guys. The guy still hasn't got back to me. So that's it. You're stuck with that for the rest of time. Um, Film Fail for a Pound this week is going to be a really, really interesting one because obviously you guys are getting in contact with me and sending me little nuggets on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. This week we've had some really classic horrors. I think all of you are really geared up for Halloween. So I've had The Girl with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, it is a very, very popular one. For some reason, everybody's dropping that off at their local charity shop. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe they were disappointed with the sequel. But yeah, thank you so much for sending me your suggestions. I'm loving the fact that a lot of foreign language horror movies are being purchased after we discussed um, the Ring 
so, someone found the ring in a charity shop, which is a really good find because it's one of the best horror movies of all time. Uh, the Grudge, the original, um, again, <laughs> just an amazing film. And that J-horror sort of pinnacle of J-horror years. The Grudge, The Ring, you know, those films are The Eye. Those films mean so much to me because they were really my introduction to foreign horror and I really really love that. So this week we have sort of a horror movie. Um, I actually do have this film on a very snazzy blu-ray from Arrow Video but this was sent in and the film found for a pound this week is Battle Royale. So Battle Royale is set in a world where teenagers that have no respect for adults and adults are losing control and there can only be one solution battle royale um battle royale is a is, is basically a group of kids so one class of teenagers are taken knocked out transported to an island where they have to fight for their lives and it's only the last person left alive will be able to walk away scot-free so battle royale is so stylistic it's so interesting and very very funny in places but then again very disturbing this things like hunger games would not exist without battle royale battle royale is hunger games for a more serious generation for i mean it's it's pretty gruesome and pretty violent and Probably not for the faint-hearted, but what Battle Royale does so well is it satirises the war on the youth that seemed to be going on in Asia around that time. So Battle Royale is an absolute classic movie. I would go out and get it and say, well, I'm actually looking at my snazzy Blu-ray right now. I do have a copy. I would say give it a watch if you're interested in... Uh, Asia of cinema from Asia. If you're interested in good storytelling, uh, if you like sort of dark comedies, Battle Royale is absolutely perfect. And you know you can go out and get it for a pound in your charity shop. Get out there and hunt. Remember, our initiative here is to make you all go out and buy at least one film a week. That's giving one pound to charity every week. And if everybody did it. Just think how much money these charities will be making. So please go out and participate in Film Found for a Pound. Wow, another episode over. I can't believe it. Thank you so much to Craig for talking to us from the BBFC. Really, really interesting chat. Really nice guy. And what a... An amazing experience for the BBFC to give us to be able to go in and talk to those guys. So thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it here on the Films I Love Most podcast. So as we speak, I am in Germany. Yes, in a small town called Biberach. And next week is our Halloween special. Now, don't forget we have a competition on at the moment. The competition is you need to get in contact with me. And tell me about your favourite horror movies. Tell me anything about film. Email me at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, just get in touch. All the correspondence I get over the Halloween period, I'm going to put them into 
the Bog of Eternal Stench. Reach in, pull one out, and you will win a Blu-ray from the Bog of Eternal Stench. So there's so much in it for you, and all you need to do is send me a message either through email or on social media, and you could win yourself a Blu-ray from the Bog of Eternal Stench. So get involved, and next week is our Halloween special. I know some of you that are not horror fans are like, hang on a minute. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Fright Fest special, and now we've got a Halloween special. You're being very biased against other genres. Well, horror is my favourite genre of all time. And next week is going to be a very special week because it's the release of Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, one of my favourite movies of all time. I'm so excited and I'll be giving you a full review here on the Films I Love Most podcast as well as, you know, some other Halloween surprises. So come on guys, tell me, tell me. Trick or treat. Bye. Bye.